Great worship. Can we just thank the worship team again, too? It's really beautiful. I'm not sure what that's all about right there. But I remember this story. That reminds me of a story that you may, may have not heard. Um, I've been here so long, and some of you have been here for so long, you've heard all my stories. But I, was, I think it was, uh, I'm really terrible at time, but it feels like it was around six years ago. I was preaching. We only had two services, so that's how long ago it was. And uh, I was preaching that Sunday morning, and Bill and, Bill and, and Eric, um, and at that time it was Bill and Danny, so Bill and Danny were both gone. I was by myself and, uh, as far as the team, and I was preaching, and in between services, I was getting ready to start the second service, and there was like two or three minutes before, you know, deadline. So I'm kind of like, okay, waiting for the deadline so I can go up and open the service. And this lady comes up to me, who I know, and she said, um, I, I have this prophetic word for you. Can I give you this word? And I'm you know, for those of us that lead, it's like, I, I, look, I don't know how long this is going to be, and I'm also really committed to starting on time, because that's Bill's big thing, like, start on time, you know? So, I, so you probably know, like, you know, I'm under this pressure, like, do I let her give me a word, or do I, do I go up? So I said, it needs to be quick. And she said, oh yeah, it's a very short word. I'm like, okay, so because I'm super ADD, I thought, well, if I'm really going to receive it as a prophetic word, I need to focus, so I'll close my eyes and let her Share something to me, because like all the, you know, all the, everybody's, you know, waiting on you and, and all that. I'm like, I, I don't actually know if I'd be listening. So, so I'm like, I need to give her the, you know, honor that she's going to give me a word, and I'll close my eyes for a minute. So I close my eyes, and she says something to me, which is really simple. I honestly don't remember what it was. And then all of a sudden, I feel this, feels like shampoo over my head. <laughs> I'm like, frick, what? I open my eyes, like. Like that, like, you know, like, I have no idea what, it, like, I'm, I, at first I'm thinking it's a Holy Spirit sensation I've never had before. I mean, it feels really natural, but it, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm like, wow, that is, like, then I open my eyes like that, and well, when I open my eyes, I realize that she poured an entire bottle of oil over my head. And I go, and just instinctively, without thinking, I go, what are you doing? She said, the Lord told me that I was to anoint you with oil, and she's just freaking out, and then she just keeps talking and runs off. And Kevin Dedman is sitting in the front row, and he's watching the whole thing happen, and he can't contain himself. He's dying laughing. So I look at Kevin, and he's like, and there's just oil just running down my head, down my you know, nice shirt, and Kevin goes, I'd, I'd go wipe some of that off if I were you. I said, open the service. So he opened the service, and in the bathroom, and I'm like, oh, this does not come out. Like, this is worse than like a little dabble, do you? That's old. You'd have to be really old to get that. But So I do my best. I kind of get some soap as best I can and kind of wash it out, dry it with, you know, towel. I mean, what are you going to do, you know, and kind of get it back. Well, Kathy's late. So she gets there for second service worship. Worship's going. And she walks in and she looks at me. And she thinks I did it on purpose. And she goes, wow, you kind of look like Elvis Presley in the 50s. What did you put in your hair? And that lady's never been back to church. <laughs> I know. No. Oh, what are you thinking? That's a good plan right there. <laughs> so that reminds me of that, like, 
Like, oh yeah, I remember that right there. <laughs> Although that looks like icing. It looks like, anyway, oh, well, anyway, that's done. Well, grab a hand and let's get a date. You should really be able to get a date in this room. I mean, come on, guys. This is like fishing at the hatchery right here. Holy Spirit, thank you for what you're doing. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. And then there's my theme song. I know you're out there somewhere. Okay, now I'm going to really pray. Holy Spirit, just convict these people of their mates. And Lord, I pray that you just bring, really tonight, that you just really lead us and guide us and, and open up new dimensions to us of your character and your nature and your personhood. I, I pray for that, that you would break off of us a sense of uh, loneliness, uh, being alone, um, being by ourselves, um, and all the things that are perpetuated by that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk tonight about, uh, actually it's part of a message I've been carrying for about two years and I entitled it two weeks ago, The Power of Belonging. Um, And so if you've heard my message two weeks ago, Power of Belonging, it's going to have a lot to do with that. I have some other stuff I want to say in there. But um, it's funny, uh, two weeks ago I I took Eric's place, so it was Eric's time to preach Sunday night and he got sick, so he called me at the last minute and said, can you take my spot? Sure, you know, so I was taking a spot, and I, I've just been carrying this. The way that I actually get messages, um, you know, Bill taught us years ago. I never, he said, I never studied to teach. I only studied to learn. And he said, whatever feeds me feeds them. And he taught us that, that you know, what, whatever God's doing in us is also for them. And so I've been, I've been um, just really, if you will, kind of a little bit of wrestling with the Lord over the subject of belonging, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. But um, Bill leans over on Sunday, that Sunday night, and he, at, at this point he knows I'm preaching, but he has no idea what my message is about. And he leans over and he says, hey, I heard a quote. Now all of us that sit in the front row know Bill hates texting on the front row. He hates when we talk. He hates when we do anything besides worship, right? Chris knows. And if you do it, if, you, if, you're even a little, if he even senses you're doing it, he kind of gives you the bill look like shame, guilt, and all of those conviction things. <laughs> so Bill doesn't talk on the front row unless it, he really has to. So he's, he's standing next to me, and uncharacteristic to him, he leans over and he goes, I heard this great quote, I bet you'd like it. And I said, oh, what is it? He said, Robin Williams. Do you guys know who Robin Williams is? Robin Williams said, people say the worst thing in the world is to be alone. It's not true. The worst thing in the world is to be with people who make you feel alone. Let me read it again because I think it's profound, really. It's heartfelt. It's not in the Bible, but it should be. (laughs) Like Proverbs 32, you know what I'm saying? I shouldn't have said it like that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Don't, don't, yeah, don't tweet that. So uh, people say the worst thing in the world is to be alone. It's not true. The worst thing in the world is to be with people who make you feel alone. I really feel like that's powerful and true. David said this in the Psalms. He said, I was in the midst of the congregation and I was alone. There's something about a culture that welcomes you and there's something about being in a culture that sends you a big old message that you're not enough. 
And I've probably, all of you that have been around me for a while, you, you've, you've probably heard me talk about Brene Brown in the last couple of years because my son, Jason, who's a pastor in our church, he sent me, uh, he sent me this text one day, so probably two years ago, and he said, uh, hey, Dad, you've got to listen to this lady, Brene Brown. You're going to really like it. And he sent me this link. Now, to be honest, if it was anyone else, except for maybe Pastor Bill or Kathy, I wouldn't have listened to it. And I hope I wouldn't have lied and said I did. But I, I thought, well, I've got I to listen to it. I have to at least be able to tell my son I listened to it, because he's going to text me in an hour and ask me if I did. So I was watching the I was watching the NBA game. So I just I I clicked on it on my phone. I got on it, clicked it on my phone, and I thought, well, I'll just watch it while I'm watching the game. Then I'll be able to say, yeah, that was good. <laughs> Come on, you've probably done something similar, right? Let's be real. So I click on it, and within a minute and a half, I am glued to my phone. I I pause the game, and to the long story short, I go I I get it off my phone. I go to the computer. I get on the TED Talk on the computer, which, by the way, it's called The Power of Vulnerability. It's Brene, B-R-E-N-E, Brene Brown. And I, so I go into my office where I have a big screen. I click it on there. I get my notepad out, and I take 16 pages of notes in tears. I'm stopping it, rewinding it. You know, I've listened to the whole thing once. I go back. I stop it. I rewind it. I take some notes. I stop it, rewind it. Because you probably have had this experience. Have you ever been carrying something... That's that you, you, you're experiencing, but you can't articulate. <laughs> Have you ever been experiencing something you're like, and when you try to, people are like, oh, yeah. And you're like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> you're not really getting it. <laughs> I can see you're not really getting it. Your friends are like, oh, that's really good. And you're like, no, no, it's way more profound than that. <laughs> you know, it's like the love of God. I, you know, Paul says, I pray that you'd ex- experience the love of God that's beyond knowledge. <laughs> It's like, I, I pray that you would know the love of God that's beyond knowledge. And it's like, how am I going to know something that's beyond knowledge? Well, sometimes you can experience things that you can't articulate. Right? I can experience things that I actually can't explain. <laughs> and sometimes the only way I can explain it is to, get, is to repeat the experience with you. So I was going through this season where I, there was things going on in my, in my own life, but I would say more, I was carrying it for my children. And uh, when I, sorry, I have no idea why I'm crying. It's not even, it's crazy. I think it's menopause. I mean, it's (laughs) probably going to have a hot flash here in just a minute. I'm connecting with all the older ladies in the room like, oh, I know where you're going with that. (laughs) I have no idea why you start crying when you're saying something that isn't like cryable, you know, it's like. I don't know why this is happening to me, whatever it is. I hope the Holy Spirit's enjoying it. I don't know. Is there like an evil spirit of crying? I don't know. There could be. But so, I, so, you know, Jason sends me this connection, and I'm listening to this TED Talk that is putting words to feelings that I've been carrying for a year, as if the Lord was actually speaking through the TED Talk. Have you ever experienced something like, it may not be a TED Talk, like someone's talking or, you know, Bill's preaching or whatever, and you're like, that's a good word, but it's actually a hundred times more powerful than you actually are articulating, because you're putting words to an experience I'm having. Like, you're painting my experience with words. So I'm listening to this TED Talk, and I'm like, oh my God, I, I, 
I can't even believe that someone's putting words to these feelings I'm having. And obviously she's, you know, she's a Christian now, but she's not speaking as a Christian. She's speaking as a social scientist. She has three PhDs. And, I, I'm, and, and she's talking, and I'm like, if I didn't know better, I would swear she was preaching to me. <laughs> and she's talking about, first of all, how many of you have never heard that TED Talk? You've never heard it. Would you raise your hand? Please go get on. And it's 60 minutes long. I know, I know, I know, I get it. Like, I have more to do than I can do in a day. And I'm like, it, it'll be worth your time. It may not hit you the way it hit me, because I, I know the Lord was in it for me, but you will still, it's still worth your time. But she opens the TED Talk with this, um, with her own challenge, and she said that she, she's a, uh, obviously she's a social scientist, so her, she's, you know, interested in what, what actually, what drives people. And so she asked herself the question, like, is there one common need among all humanity, whether you're black, white, whether you're male, female, wherever country you're born, is there one actually common thread that we're all born with? Again, not as a Christian. She's asking us as a scientist, a very intelligent scientist. And so she interviews, in her words, you'll, you'll hear it on the TED Talk, I think, I think thousands of people, but at least hundreds, over two years and she finds this one thing that everybody has in common, and I'll put it in her words. She said that she found out that everybody in the world is neurobiologically wired for connection. In other words, in simple terms, and she says this in the TED Talk, that people are wired to need to feel like they belong. And then she said she spent the next four years, so two years, what what do we all have in common? What is there one common theme, one common need that we all have? And she said, we all have this one common theme. We all have this deep desire to belong, to be connected. So then she asked herself, what is the enemy of connection? Because she's interviewing these hundreds of people, and again, it might have been thousands at first, and, and, and lots of them that want to connect don't connect. So she said to her, Self in her study, what is the, is there one thing? Is there multiple things or is there one common theme among people who don't connect? And she said, so six years, four years later, she discovers that there is one thing that keeps everybody from connecting. And she said, this one thing. Everybody in the world experiences, but some people never get past it. And she said, it's shame. Shame. She said, everybody in the world has experienced shame, but some people never get past it. And she defines shame like this. Now, this is language would be a little bit different than we would use. But she said, condemnation says, I did something wrong. We would use the word conviction. She says, conviction says, I did something wrong. But shame says, I am something wrong. And when I feel like I am something wrong, then I have a deep fear that if you get to know me, you'll discover that I'm a fake. I'm a phony. And whatever it is that the environment values, if, the, if in the spiritual environment, it would be spiritual. I'm not spiritual enough. If it's a, a gem, I'm not strong enough. If it's a university, I'm not smart enough. It's a, if, it's, 
If it's, uh, if it's uh, you know, uh, it, it maybe I'm not beautiful enough. Maybe I don't have a good enough body. You get the idea, but whatever it is the culture values, I fear that I'm not that. And I begin to build a wall around me to keep you from discovering that I am not what you value. But you called that shame. I, I feel like we all have this deep desire to stand out. And yet, at the same time, we all have this deep desire to fit in. It, it's the lion and the lamb in all of us. It's like, I deeply want to fit in. But I also want to stand out. Right? And, and it's this war that goes on inside me. Like, I have to figure out how to make the lion and the lamb sit down. Because when I fit in, then I don't feel like I stand out. And when I stand out, I don't feel like I fit in. How many have gone through this? I, I, haven't we all gone through this in one way or another? It's like, I deeply want to be significant, and at the same time, I don't want to be so significant that I'm weird, right? I don't want to be weird because unique people fit in, but there's the little line called weird, and if you're weird, you've gone too far, and you don't just fit in, you aren't in, right? You're not just, you don't just stand out like you are out, and we have this like strange kind of Need. And, you know, we're laughing in, in this way because in some circles, some of you have experienced it your whole life, but all of us have experienced it in some circles where I deeply desire to stand out, but, oh, I just actually want to fit in right now. Then I fit in so much, I feel like I'm not significant, so then I want to stand out, then I feel weird, and I go through this, like, what, I, don't, I don't know. I just, and, 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 and all of this, and you can see where I'm going, comes from not knowing who I am. There's this huge word in the Bible, as, A-S, as. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's a huge word, as. The church for all the years that I was a Christian, the first 20, didn't see that word. They saw love your neighbor you should love your neighbor, you hater of neighbors. <laughs> you know, there were all these things about loving your neighbor. I remember watching a youth pastor one time. Now, this is how young preachers preach. I, I used to preach like this all the time, probably still do sometimes. And he was up there, and, he was, and I was in his youth group. I was teaching at his youth group, and he was kind of doing this thing. The exhortation, he was saying, you should be passionate for Jesus. You should love Jesus. And he went through this whole thing about, you know, Kind of Chris O style, you know. Chris O doesn't do that, but Chris O style, and he was doing his preaching about you should, we should follow, you should be passionate. These are teenagers, right? So that night, after the whole meeting was over, we had dinner together, and I said, "Let me ask you a question. When someone tells you you should be passionate, does it make you passionate? (laughs) Because if you're not passionate, tell me to be passionate just makes me feel ashamed. It reminds me of what I'm not." I'm saying that we actually shame people into certain behaviors. 
And it's like people belong, believe, and behave, and we try to make people behave so that they can belong. And I propose to you that that's polar opposite of the way we're wired because we're neurobiologically wired to connect. So when people come in and we try to get them, I know, I know we have good hearts. We're like, hey, we should all love Jesus. Okay, I don't. Well, you should. Now I really don't. <laughs> now I really don't. And you should be passionate for Jesus. Okay, I'm not. Well, you should be. Well, telling me I should be doesn't move me towards passion. It moves me towards shame. The other day, my, my daughter-in-law called, and, and she's beautiful. I love her. <laughs> Saved my life. Another story for another time. But, you know, they have uh, now two teenagers, three kids, two teenagers. And she calls me every once in a while, once every month or so, every two months, and she's like, she married into the family, so she didn't, these kids were, she became part of her family. It's a, so she didn't, she, you know, I think the oldest one she started, when, they, when she married Jay, I think he was like 10. So, you know, it's, it's a challenge. You didn't raise him from the beginning, so you didn't get that early experience. And, and teenagers are just, you know, they're teenagers. <laughs> they're, you know, because they're kind of brain dead. <sighs> Why'd you do that? I don't know. We actually don't know because the frontal lobe of your brain doesn't develop till you're 16, 17, 18. It's not fully developed till you're in your early 20s. And that frontal lobe of your brain is the cause and effect side of your brain, right? It, it, it's like I jump off the, the roof, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to land. But because the part of my brain isn't developed, I don't actually think about the landing. I only think of the jumping. So you ask your average teenager, like, you know, in a cast, why did you do that? I don't know. Did you hit your sister in the face? Uh-huh. You broke her nose. Uh-huh. Why did you do that? Come on. Why did he do that? I don't know. He's brain dead. He doesn't know. So, so my daughter-in-law calls me. She's totally, you know, she's up to here. She's totally frustrated and you know, rightfully so, and she's like, Dad, you know, your grandson, <laughs> that's my grandson when he screws up, her son when she's doing good, you know. <laughs> he has no motivation. He doesn't want to work. He doesn't want to go out for sports. He doesn't want to do his work. He doesn't want to do his schoolwork. He doesn't, you know, and she's going on, and I'm like, okay, she needs someone to talk to right now, just like let her vent, you know, so she does the 15 minutes of, <gasps> And I went in today, and I told him, you have no motivation. I'm like, whoo. I'm like, all right, okay. So, you know, she, so she finishes, like, unloading. And I know that a good part of what she needs is just someone to talk to, you know. So I said to her, um, so when she was done, I said, do you have anything in your life that you, you know you should do? Like, in my life, lose weight would be up there with loving Jesus, you know? <laughs> Does anyone in here think I don't know what to do? <laughs> like, I'm 62, you know, I, like, like I, I, my wife leaves the magazine by the toilet, you know, like 10 pounds in 10 days, you know, I, I mean, do anyone think I don't know what to do? I mean, would raise your hand if you think I don't know what to do, like at least to lose the first 20. Anybody think I don't know what to do? Yeah. So I said to her, like, 
Is there anything in your life that you know what to do, but you just don't do it? Now, I happen to know about other conversations that we've had. And she's like, yeah. I said, if I say, you just need to do this, does it motivate you? She said, no. So when you go in and you tell Elijah, you have no motivation, do you think it makes him feel motivated? (laughs) No. When you say, you don't do your schoolwork, you're not motivated, you don't want to get a job, does it make you feel motivated? No. I said, but what, do you, what does it make you feel? Hmm. Feelings like shame. Yeah, shame. And what side of the kingdom is shame on? <laughs> I'd propose it's not in the kingdom side. <laughs> She's like, oh, dad. I don't know what I'm going to do with this kid. I'm like, he's going to grow out of it, but telling him what he's not good at is probably not motivating him. In fact, I'd propose it's driving him deeper in the cave he calls in my room. (laughs) Yeah, he hardly ever comes out. I wonder why. (laughs) Come here and let me talk to you more about what you're not. How helpful is that? And, and of course, you know, I, I understand, you know, um, Lauren's issue. I mean, I, I've had the same. I raised four kids. I know the feeling. I've wanted to go crazy. I remember Jason. This is a perfect example. God bless his soul. <laughs> he had two responsibilities, okay? And he could only do one of the responsibilities 12 months a year, and the other was cut the lawn, and that only worked five months, six months a year in Weaverville. So he basically had one responsibility, take the garbage out. Now, let me explain to you what that means. (laughs) This does not mean roll the can out front. We didn't have garbage pickup. This means take the plastic garbage can that the crap is in, take it out to the deck, which is that far, dump it in the big can, and bring the can back. Now, I know you think it's more complex than that because of the story I'm about to tell, but it isn't. (laughs) If you were in a rush, you could do it in about 38 seconds. If you were walking slowly, like his mother would, it might take 92 seconds, not longer. And he he was supposed to do it daily, so he's supposed to get a rhythm. Like 27 days develops a habit. He didn't get the habit in 11 years. (laughs) I can't remember when he ever took the garbage out without being asked. Now, we did this daily. And I can't ever remember when he took the garbage out and the can came back the same day. (laughs) Because he would get out on the deck... And there would be a deer or a butterfly (laughs) or an ant or anything that was moving by itself that he needed to kill. And off he would go into the woods. And the next morning we wake up, it's like, where's the garbage can? Where do you think the garbage can is? It's under two feet of snow because he left it out there overnight. And I would make him get out of his bed in his underwear Go get the garbage can. 
which is outside in the snow. You think you'd remember the next day? Heck no. Like, this is my kid. How the heck? And I would really like to use the word hell, if it was appropriate, as a place. How is he ever going to hold down a job when he can't bring the freaking garbage can back in the same day? Are you with me? Like, how hard is this? How hard is this? Eleven years. Never. One time did he ever take it out on his own. And I would say, out of those 11 years, 10 years, the garbage can didn't come back the same day. This is retardation. And how we deal with people who don't behave is the problem. Because see, being alone isn't the worst thing in the world. But being among people who make you feel alone, that's evil. And when people don't behave, we most of the time, unknowingly, begin to isolate them. You don't behave. You deserve to be punished. You don't measure up. You are a stupid kid. You are not a garbage man. How are you ever going to have a family? I'd propose to you, not for reasons that give us permission to sin, but I'd propose to you that none of us measure up (laughs) in certain environments. I play basketball. I'm not a good basketball player at all. (laughs) I've been playing basketball for 48 years. You would think that I could at least make a basket, because that's why it's called basketball. (laughs) Now, here's the weirdest thing. Most of the time, would you agree, you typically have a passion for what you're good at, right? If you suck at it, you typically want to stay away. I have this weird thing. (laughs) I have to believe it's God. I actually love basketball. The only problem is nobody likes to play with me. (laughs) Nobody likes to play with me. Five years ago, this is a true story, not exaggerated. <laughs> Five years ago, it got so bad. You know, you know what it's like when there's only 10 players on the court and they need all 10, and they go, you take Chris. No, no, I'll give you two players. <laughs> like, that bad. So I'm like, why do I love something I hate? And I go home this day. This is a true story. This isn't my norm. I'm, you probably figured out, like, I'm not a feel sorry for me, feel myself kind of guy. I'm not. I, 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 I hate that attitude. I hate it in other people. 
And when it starts to get on me, I hate it. But anyway, <laughs> I go home, I'm driving home, and I'm crying. And I say to God, I feel alone, I feel rejected, I feel not worthy. And the Lord said, that's why I gave you love for basketball, because that's how people feel when they come to church for the first time, and when they don't know the culture, and when they don't know how to behave, and when they can't make a basket. And it takes them a year to try to fit in, and when they don't fit in, and this is how it feels to not be good at what you love. I get home. (laughs) Kathy, she's not Miss Mercy. I walk in. I'm still in tears. I, I walk in the door, and I'm, think, I, I'm not even thinking she's home. It's a Monday. I'm thinking she's probably out shopping. I walk in the house, and she's like, hi, honey, how you doing? I'm still. She's <laughs> like, are you okay? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm just... And I start to tell her, and she goes, honey, you suck at basketball. <laughs> You just, you just need to take up another sport like golfer, ping ponger. You know, maybe something you do by yourself. <laughs> now that part's an exaggeration, but she said, you, "Honey, you, you just suck at basketball, honey. And people don't like to play with you because you suck." I know, but I want to be wanted. Yeah, I know, honey, but. It's not about you. It's just about the fact that you can't play. <laughs> you ever want to fit in really bad, but you just stand out? For a reason that you don't want to stand out for? Like, you haven't hit a basket in like 18 months? <laughs> and that includes practice? That sucks, right? You just, just want to fit in. And then all the stuff we do to try to fit in when we don't fit in. Funny, I haven't told this part of the story ever. I said to the Lord that day, I don't want to go play basketball anymore. He said, you're going. I'm like, is there anybody else? Can we talk to Jesus? I want to talk to Jesus. <laughs> Seriously. I'm like, that part, I was just being funny, but I was like, literally, like, the Lord's like, no, you're going. You need this. Like, I'm using this to mold you. I'm like, Lord, this, is, this really sucks. Like, like, make me good at it. No, that's the point. <laughs> is there another point? Like, can And, um, and I just happened to learn how to be valued for a different reason. For a different reason. So the next week I go to play basketball and I'm like, now I'm kind of dreading it. You know, I had a really bad week the week before. Like I actually tried to make some baskets and didn't. And somebody said to me, how long have you been playing? You should at least be able to hit a basket. I'm like, I know I'm with you. I have no idea why I can't do that. It's like, seems to work in my dreams. And the Lord said, uh, I'm driving there, and the Lord said, why don't you make friends with unrighteous mammon? 
friends with unrighteous mammon. Well, that's awesome. What does that mean? He said, money. I'm like, buy friends? He said, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I have money. So I went in and I found the, like, you know, I've been playing there for 18 years. Been hated for 16. <laughs> so I know the guys that are valued. There's two guys in that gym that everyone respects. And one of the two guys is broke. He's always broke. And I, I, I'm not friends with him, but I am now, but I wasn't then. And I know he's always kind of like, you know, people are helping him all the time. So I go in, and I pay, off, I pay his tuition, his, what do they call it? Yeah, for a year. I didn't tell him, I just pay for it. The Lord said, make friends with unrighteous mammon. Okay. I pay his bill. I suck that week. <laughs> go home crying. The next week I go to the gym and the guy comes up to me he's a black guy really nice guy he said hey man did you pay my whatever you call it membership, membership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah memory is another issue I have too <laughs> and I'm like yeah dude and he goes why did you do that I said I don't know I just felt like I was supposed to I paid his and I paid the other the other influential guys tuition membership so crazy that week that man goes Chris on my team pick whoever you want he's on my team I'm like yeah I'm with him (laughs) you know I've been loved there ever since those two guys took me under their wing my basketball hasn't improved much But I walk in the gym every week, and I'm the opposite of the worst thing in the world is being with people who make you feel alone. Those people go, I walk in the gym, hey, Chris, how was your week? Oh, I like your new car, da-da-da. They never acknowledge my name. Seriously, at that time, I had been going there for 16 years every week I'm home. They never can remember my name. Other thing I did is, I could give them a, one of my books, but they wouldn't take it. But if I left it on the bench, they'd steal them. <laughs> so I'd leave my books around, <laughs> and they would steal them. And I always wonder who, would, who, steal them, who stole them. And I would just find out because like four months later, they'd be like, oh man, your book, I don't know. (laughs) Someone gave me your book. I'm like, yeah, I know where that book came from. I left it on the bench. Dude, being alone sucks. Being alone sucks. And every one of us have felt disconnected unwelcome, I don't fit in, these people don't like me, and of course I have to stop and say this, if you don't like you, you won't ever fit in anywhere, because that's the as, love your neighbor as, I'm telling you, that as has been destroyed by false humility Bad doctrine, religious spirits have destroyed the as. I wrote a whole chapter on as, as, 
love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I'd suggest to you that you can't even love your neighbor if you don't love you. And, the, and this, this lack of as, it hides in a religious spirit and looks spiritual. It looks like you say to someone, oh, I love your dress. You're like, oh, oh, you know, yeah, I got it on sale. Listen, I understand women have this thing about, you know, finding stuff on sale. It's like, you know, killing a buck. I understand that. <laughs> but there's another thing that kind of hides in, oh, I don't want you to think I bought something expensive for myself and that I'm okay, that, that, I, that, I, that, I, that I would splurge on my, on my looks. I, I do spend an hour in front of the mirror trying to have everyone accept me every day, but I don't want you to think I'd spend money doing that. You know, I'm being sarcastic. Like, there is a, there's something in a poverty culture that says, I don't want you to actually think I bought the dress for full price. And I understand some of it's just a culture, I get that, but some of it is false humility. Some of it is, I don't want you to think that I think I'm good enough to drive that car. That I actually, I, I, I know, like, I got the car on sale. My wife told me I should have it. Anything besides, I actually like it. Why did you buy that? I like it. It's not okay for you to like it in religious circles. Because of the as. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Listen, this is the answer to marriages that suck. Husbands love your wives, follow me, as. It's there again, in a marriage, as. Like, the best thing I can do for Kathy, obviously it has to go beyond this, but the best thing I can do for Kathy in the foundation of our marriage is love me. Because if I don't love me, I won't love her. And the truth is, and I have experienced this, like I grew up like this, you won't let anyone love you more than you love you And when someone's trying to love you more than you love you, you will sabotage your relationship with them. Because you're doing this, oh, listen, if you knew me, oh, don't don't say that nice stuff about me. Oh, don't give me those gifts. Oh, don't don't introduce me like that from the podium. Oh, you don't really know me. Now I feel like i got to live up to the way you just introduced me or the gift you just gave me. Please don't do that because I'm not really what you think I am. Let me, in fact, I feel like I should tell you some bad things I've done when you give me something good, so you won't think too much of me. And trust me, I live like that for 40 years. I have a PhD in false humility. I grew up in a culture where you didn't tell people you were good at things, because if you did, then you're... And, and, and here's the worst part. You weren't allowed to think you were good at something. So even if you were good at something, it was never enough. It's the spirit of perfectionism, and it takes the place of excellence. Excellence comes from the nature of his excellency, but perfectionism comes from a spirit of fear, of rejection. So it's never good enough. It's never fast enough, it's never pretty enough, it's never strong enough, it's never smart enough, it's never good enough. It's never good enough. And it's not that they're saying it's not good enough, it's that you say it's not good enough. It's never good enough. And it comes from a bad ass. I didn't even mean that the way it came out, but... 
I seriously did not mean that to her. But it works. It comes from a bad ass. I don't love me as I love my neighbor and therefore my neighbor suffers and I suffer and I don't know if you could say the Lord suffers but he grieves over the fact that he can't love me because I won't let him. And I say things like, I still never feel connected to the Lord. Everybody else gets stuff. I don't get stuff. And I, I, I said, like, you know, I tried, oh, that didn't work, you know. <laughs> I read my Bible, you know. I tried the Shabbat. I just don't feel connected. I don't feel connected. And I can tell you, most of the time that we don't feel connected, and I include myself in this, is because of the ass. It's my ass. I, 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 I'm struggling with liking me. <laughs> you will never forget this message, ever. I'm supposed to be done in five minutes, and I'm on page one, two, and I have nine pages. I'm sorry. I, I will be, I'll be done. I promise I'll be done around nine. I, I'm just saying, like, you got to have an ass <laughs> that you love. <laughs> Now you're just going to laugh and you're going to miss the whole point. You're going to miss the entire point. you got to love you. It's okay. Just say this out loud. It's okay, it's okay. To, love to love me. It's okay, it's okay. To, acknowledge to acknowledge that I'm good at stuff. That I'm good at stuff. And it's okay, it's okay to have flaws, to have flaws. And, to and to not be good at everything. It's not a commentary, not a commentary. on my value. Because no one is good at everything. That's the truth. Now what we just said is great. But we all know that didn't change you. What's going to change you and what's going to change me is when I keep reminding myself. You were born in the creator's image. You're not a burp, you're not a mistake. Your mama may have been raped, but you're the beauty that came out of it. Your daddy maybe didn't want you, your mother may have been a drug addict, but the father knew what he was doing when he caused that sperm to fertilize that egg and create you. And you are the beauty that was for the ashes. You're the beauty that rose from the ashes. You are not the ashes. You are the good news that God can bring beautiful things out of a terrible situation in the worst circumstances with the wrong motive. That's you. That's you. And I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I was born out of wedlock in, the, you know, in 1955. Us oldest guys, older guys and gals, we know. I'm saying 1955. It was not popular to cohabit and to have a baby. So my parents immediately eloped and got married, immediately. Not out of a great vision, out of shame. I was a love child. I was born out of shame. I had, I, my daddy, thankfully, my daddy gave me a name. Lots of people don't have a name. There's an old song. Um, I have it in my phone, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, you can just, it's on the side of my bag. 
it's just, uh, I didn't know if I was going to share it tonight, but it's a very old song, so young people won't know this song at all. Um, but it was sung by the Supremes. It goes like this. Don't think I don't need you. Don't think I don't want to please you. But no child of mine will be bearing the name of shame that I've been wearing. Love child, never, never quite as good. Afraid, ashamed, misunderstood. It goes on, I always love you. I'm sorry, I didn't start at the top. Let me start at the top. You think I don't feel love, but what I feel for you is real love. In the other's eyes, I see the reflection, a hurt, a scorn, a rejection. Love child never meant to be. Love child born in poverty. Love child never meant to be. Love child, take a look at me. I started my life in an old, cold, run-down slum. My father left me. He never even married my mom. I shared the guilt my mama knew, so afraid that others knew I had no name. This love we're contemplating is worth the pain and waiting. Well, we only will end up hating the child we may be creating. Love child never meant to be. Love child scorned by society. Love child always second best. Love child different from the rest. I knew the way it felt to always live in doubt, to be without the simple things, so afraid my friends would see the guilt in me. Don't think I don't need you. Don't think I don't want to please you. But no child of mine we bear in the name and shame I've been wearing. Love child, love child, never quite as good, afraid, ashamed, misunderstood. That song puts to words our society. Lots of people, even born out of marriage, are still love children. They're ashamed, afraid. Someone's going to find me out. Someone's going to find out I'm not... I'm not what I think I am. I, I, you know, not very many people know who um, Bobby Jean is. But, you know, everyone's heard of Marilyn Monroe. Same person. Problem is, when you are trying to be Marilyn Monroe, but you're really Bobby Jean, you usually end up killing yourself. If it's not suicide, you drink yourself to death or you... I'm saying, it's the as. It's the as. It's why I spend an hour getting ready in the mirror. By the way, it's nothing wrong with being ready. Hear hear the heart of what I'm saying. But I'm terrified that you're going to get past the outside and you're going to look inside. But maybe I can make the outside pretty enough where you accept me. I won't be alone. I'm with you. There's a beautiful story. I wrote this uh, book on women called um, Fashion to Rain. And I actually got the story wrong. I, I intend to go in and correct it. I actually heard someone's teaching on the story of the woman at the well about a year after my book came out. And I realized that I had actually taught the wrong thing in my book. And I want to go back and fix it. But I want to read you this story. I'll end with this story. It's John 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, if you, want to, if you want to open your Bible to it. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, 
and he would give you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father, Jacob, are you? Who gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle. I want to stop. I'm going to finish this story, but I want you to understand what's going on. In the days of Christ, in the first century, Jews thought of women as dogs. They were the property of men. They could not be taught the Bible, the Torah. In fact, the most famous rabbi of the time named Elzer said, I'd rather burn the Torah than read it to a woman. It was actually illegal to teach a woman the Torah. If a woman went outside, she had to cover her head, her full head, and if she talked to a man while she was outside, it was grounds for divorce. And she could be stoned in the street. A man, a woman could not divorce a husband for any reason, but men divorced husbands, and also polygamy was legal, so a man could have many wives. A woman could not be a, 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 woman could not be a witness in a court case, even if she actually witnessed a crime, because she was inherently a liar. So, and then men, it was illegal for men to speak to women in public. Now, a man could speak to a woman in his home, but he could not speak to her outside of his home. More dramatically in this story is the Samaritan. The Samaritan is a half-breed. They are disrespected by every single people group. So Jesus is talking to a woman, that's illegal. And she's talking to a Samaritan, that's illegal and unethical. (laughs) Immediately, she says to him, and you'll see, he says, give me a drink. And she said, how do you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, to give you a drink? And she immediately puts up her walls and said, I don't know why you're talking to me, I don't think this is okay, and by the way, you scorn us, Samaritan people, and I am rejecting you before you can reject me. You can see it in the, in the story. I'm going to reject you because I know you're going to reject me. Jesus totally ignores her rejection, her defense for, you hate me, I'll hate you first. And he goes, if you knew who was speaking to you, he would give you living water and you would never be thirsty. He immediately tells her, I value you, and if you knew who it is, and listen to this, I value you, and I value me. Follow me. If you knew who was speaking to you, that's a word of confidence, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. I wouldn't keep it from you. I would give you living water, and you would never thirst again. Immediately, this is a smart woman. She immediately goes, you are not greater than our father, O-U-R, Jacob, who gave us this well. She immediately realizes that she needs to change gears and connect. And she says, our father, not my father, Jacob, not your father, Jacob, our father. She realizes Jesus 
is trying to connect, and she immediately opens the door and connects back. You're not greater than our Father who gave you, gave us, you and me, this well. Can you feel it? She's never known a man who bypasses society, bypasses culture, religious rules, and religious ideologies, and goes, if you would ask me, I would give you living water, and you would never thirst again. Well, you're not greater than our father, Jacob, are you? He's the one that gave us, you and me, this well. And, and you have nothing to draw from. The well's deep. Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water I give him shall never thirst, but the water I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I will never be thirsty and I will never come here again and draw from this well. And he said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. This you had said truly. And the woman said, I perceive you're a prophet. I never underst- I, I understood this differently. And this profound teacher brought this to my attention. Women did not divorce men. Men divorced women. This woman's not been, had five husbands because she's been a divorcee and she rejected them. She has five husbands because every single husband she's ever had has rejected her and thrown her out like a rag. And the guy she has right now that she's dating won't even marry her. Jesus isn't saying, you sinned and I saw it. He's saying, I connect with the fact that you've been rejected by every man in your life, but I'm not here to reject you. I'm here to say, in spite of the fact that no one else loved you, I love you. The worst thing in the world isn't being alone. It's being around people who make you feel alone. And this lady's been alone so long that she's built high walls, castle stones of rejection. I will reject you before you can reject me. Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. And he goes, if you knew who you're speaking to, I'd give you living water and you never thirst. And that woman has never been respected like that. And she said, give me that water. I'll take that water. Go get your husband. What's he doing? He's connecting with her shame. He's saying, before I could give you the water, we have to get past your shame. She's thinking, well, he probably likes me because he doesn't know my past. And he goes, go get, your, go get your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. That's why you've had five, and the one you have right now won't even marry you. She's saying, I feel valued by a man who knows my past, but he doesn't treat me with reference to my past. He treats me with reference to my purpose. And immediately, she begins to connect with him. The woman said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers, did you get that, R-O-U-R? Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you people say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now it is. 
When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. He just said, well, the Jews say you should worship in Jerusalem, and other people say we should worship at Mount Horeb. And, and Jesus said, it's not about the place. It's about the people. And by the way, you fit in. You're one of them. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He's called the Christ. What's she doing? She is intimacy. Into me, you see. She's now saying, I see I can tr be trusted. You, I, I can trust you with what I'm working through. I, I, I know there's a Messiah coming. I, I, I'm not sure who he is, but he's supposed to be coming. And he's, and, and he's called the Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, the one who speaks to you is he. Wow. Listen to this. In the midst of this, we have another thing happening. At this point, the disciples came. <laughs> the whole spirit is going to change here. At this point, the disciples came, and they were amazed that he was speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, why do you speak to her? <laughs> or why is she speaking to you? Can you imagine, you know, 11, 12 disciples pull up on the donkeys. They're like, I think that's a woman. It is, Peter. Thomas, go ask Jesus why he's talking to the woman. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> Judas, ask Jesus why he's talking to the woman. For 30 pieces of silver, I will. <laughs> I'm just being funny there. But it's like, they all want to ask, but nobody has the courage to ask Jesus, why are you speaking to a woman? It's illegal. It's not right. We've been taught for 40 years that speaking to a woman in public is wrong. And she's a Samaritan. And they're all, you can imagine, the buzz is like, you ask her, I'm not as close to Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm not asking him. You ask him. And now they're watching this interchange of two moral enemies connecting. They walk up after the connection is made. They're in the last part of the conversation where this woman just realized that she is talking to Christ, the Messiah. And better than that, he likes her. A woman who's from the wrong tribe. Not even tribe. She's a half-breed. She's a mistake. A black person in 1950. I'm sorry, not dishonoring black. I'm just saying, this is the outcast. You don't talk to these people. They use a different bathroom. You get the idea. It's like, this is, this, these people are not to be honored. They are, they're enemies of the Jewish people. And Jesus isn't just talking to her. He's saying, I'd like to give you some living water. You're never going to thirst again. And he is, listen to this, teaching a woman about worship. The most powerful teaching in the New Testament on worship is given to a woman at the well. 
the most repeated words about worship are given to a Samaritan woman at a well, illegally. She leaves. Jesus said to her, the one that speaks to you is he. At this point, the disciples came, and they were amazed, da-da-da. So the woman left her water pot. Did you get that? She left her water pot. Why? Because he said, I'm going to give you water, and you're never going to thirst. What do I need a water pot for? Why does the Bible note that she left the water pot? Because she doesn't think she needs water anymore. So the woman left her water pot, went into the city, and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I have done. This couldn't be the Christ, could he? And the whole city finds Christ. They beg him, and he stays an extra day. Okay, the point. He makes a woman feel like she belongs, and she changes the known world. She, he takes a woman who shouldn't be in the service, who can't play basketball, who's not good at anything anyone values. And he goes, I like you. You're with me. Oh, I know about the five husband thing and the boyfriend who won't marry you, and I understand how much shame you carry, but I will still give you living water. And don't worry about these disciples. They are not going to ask any questions. <laughs> They just got a huge lesson. And by the way, God bless those disciples. Every single writer of the Gospels, all four, say, and Jesus was teaching the multitude of 5,000 men. Oh, and there was women and children. I used to think, I used to read it like this. And Jesus was teaching, and there was 5,000 men. Then I realized that's not why the gospel writers singled out the women. Because the gospel writers wanted you to know there was black people in the crowd and it's 1950. They wanted you to know Jesus was teaching and there was 5,000 men and women and children were there illegally. And Jesus was teaching them. The people who never belonged anywhere. Who the world said stay home. You can't come into the temple. There's four levels of the temple. You stay outside. We are not going to teach you the Torah. We'll burn it before we teach you. And Jesus is teaching 5,000 men and women and children. People who never belong. People who felt their whole life. They went to places who made sure they knew, you don't belong here. You stay outside. You can stay out to the fourth level back there. We can maybe hear some stuff and make some food and have some babies. They circumcised women so they couldn't have an orgasm. They didn't even want women to have pleasure when they had children. This is the culture Jesus is speaking into. And he says to the women, to the women everywhere, I value you. You belong with me. And the most powerful things ever taught theologically were almost all taught to women. The resurrection. If anybody knows anything about the resurrection in the first century, did Jesus ever teach the disciples about resurrection? Probably, but you don't find it in the Gospels. He only taught two women, Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha give us the greatest revelation of the resurrection of any Gospel writer ever. They know about the resurrection. Why? Because they're sitting at his feet, and he's teaching them when they should be in the dang kitchen. 
and Mary and Martha knows it. And Martha says, tell my sisters that she should be helping me. And Jesus is like, Martha, I value you. Sit here and let me teach you. Oh, no, 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 I'm not worried of that. We should be working. Martha, you're not getting this. Mary understands this. You still haven't figured it out yet. I value you. We'll do dinner in an hour. Sit and let me talk to you about the kingdom. What happens when you make people know you belong? You're not an outcast. You're not a throwaway. But I was born in a rape. You're the good that came out of the ashes. But my husband, but I've been married four times. How many know in the church, if you've been divorced, and by the way, not promoting divorce, everybody in this room who knows me knows that. I know the pain of divorce because it came into my family. But come on, people who've been divorced, they don't need to be rejected again. Well, you've been divorced, you can never preach, you can never do anything good. You are your worst mistake. I'm sorry, I don't know where you got that, but it's not in the Bible. You're better than your best day. You're better than your worst mistake. Well, I did some terrible things. Welcome to the kingdom. (laughs) Welcome to the kingdom. And the best thing you can do is take care of your ass. Please take care of your ass. Because we're trying to love you. And if you don't take care of your ass, you're not going to get love because we're trying to love you and you're like, I'm not lovable. I'm rejectable. I've been married five times. I have a boyfriend who doesn't love me. I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing. I'm coming to church to sleep with my boyfriend. I just need to be wanted. Okay, let's just stop. Let's start with you. Do you know who you are and whose you are? Uh, no, 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 no. Do you know who you are? Um, uh, no. No, I really don't. I know you have to take care of your ass. Because you think it's the people that are rejecting you. And maybe they are. Maybe they're my basketball friends. And they go, you can't play basketball. You don't deserve to be on the court. And I totally get it. I understand. It's a performance-based culture. And you know what? I don't like to play with guys who are crummier than me. So I have it in me too. Which there's not too many of them though. (laughs) But if you don't like you, you're going to view everyone through that lens. And you think, no one likes me. I was married 20 years, and Kathy will tell you that this is true. Every week, if I missed a week, I can't remember it. I would say to her, I met so-and-so, they, they, they don't like me. This is my words to my wife, who I've been with since I was 12. She'd say, baby, how, how do you know they don't like you? Like, did they say something to you? Did they tell you to go fly a kite? What? <laughs> I'd say, no, I can feel it. I tell you what I could feel. I could feel I don't like me. And when you get in my presence, I am terrified that you're going to see what I think I see in me, and therefore I'm going to reject you before you can reject me. I never belong anywhere. And you know my story. I wrote the book, Supernatural Ways of Royalty. Out of this experience, God said, you know what? Why don't you try this? Why don't you try loving you the way I love you? I'm like, how do I do that? Well, first you have to know how much I love you. And I spent a year in purgatory or something. <laughs> Is purgatory a good place? I don't know. It's a bad place. I spent a year 
trying to let the Lord love me. Many tears. And I would lay on my bed at night, and I'd hear him say, you're amazing. You're such a beautiful person. You're so good. You are a good son. If your daddy were alive, he'd be proud of you. And I'd be like, oh, stop talking. You, you know, have you ever had someone say, oh, that was a great song, or whatever it is you did? And you're like, oh, thank you. And then they go on. <laughs> I've never heard a song like that. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, it's a good song. Yeah. Did you write that song? You're afraid to say yes. Yeah, I wrote that song. Oh, my God, that is a good I didn't think it changed my life. So like, you're like, stop. I don't love me that much. Stop, you're killing me. Oh, please keep going. Oh, stop. You, you know, I want you to, but no. Yes, tell me more. Oh, please don't. Put it in a letter so I can take it home and put it on my mirror. We've got to learn how to love ourselves. We have to learn how to love ourselves. And you may feel like the Samaritan woman or the woman caught in adultery or the rejected man or Peter who failed Jesus three times. But your feelings are not accurate. You are a good woman. You're a good man. Well, you don't know me. I know him. I know him. And I know he doesn't make junk. <laughs> he don't make junk. And if you're in his image, then you think in your junk's probably reflection on him. <laughs> Negatively. So I want to just pray for y'all. All y'all. Because I really believe no matter where you are in this room, whether you're Chris Cruz or Chris Valentin or whoever you are in this room, this is not something you deal with once in your life and walk away. This is something you deal with in your life. This is something you, you know, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. His name means accusation. Like, even if you get it together, you still have an enemy who wants to remind you of your past, and you should remind him of his future. When the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. It has to do with the lake <laughs> of fire. Stand, please. Thank you for enduring me this long. I got boogers and there ain't no pastors in this place. So I'll use my Levi's. Is there booger stuff here? Oh, there it is. Okay. Thank you very much. Off when I blew my nose. You want to see what I did? I'd like to show you all my accomplishments. Sorry, that was kind of over the... over. Out of bounds. Okay, so <laughs> I do want to pray for you on a serious note. I do want to pray for us. I do want to pray that God would deal with our as, that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves, yeah. that we would actually get this. Like if it takes six months or if it takes six years, 
that we get to this place when I get married, I'm going to have a great marriage because I love me so I can love her. So I can love him. And I'm going to have a great life because I'm going to love me. And when I make a mistake and, I'm gonna, and I fall down, I'm going to get back up because that's not who I am. I'm noble. I'm, I'm dignified. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God. That's who I am. I didn't call me that. God called me that. And therefore, God cannot lie. And when God speaks, God creates. So when God said it, if it wasn't true, as soon as God says it, it is true. So I'm praying for you right now. So would you put your hand on your heart? It's just a prophetic statement that we're actually praying for our inner man. And Holy Spirit, I pray for the woman at the well experience with all of us. I'm talking about me, everyone in this room, every leader, that we would have a woman at the well experience, that we would, we would get past our past. We get past our fears. We get past our bad thoughts, our bad motives, our stuff we do when we don't feel like we belong. The crazy stuff, you know, teenagers joining gangs, guys and women having sex to fit in, just doing whatever, breaking my own virtues, just so someone will say, you're with me. In fact, how many women get pregnant just so the guy will stay? I just want him to stay. I don't even care if he loves me. I just want him to stay. Lord, I just pray for each one of us that you would teach us how to love us. How to accept us with all of our flaws and all of our quirky stuff and all of their unique features that we would be able to love us so that we could accept love and give love and experience love and know that you love us and they're always with us and that we can actually have fun with you and not spend all of our time confessing stuff we didn't even do. <laughs> Lord, I just pray for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, I receive that for myself. <laughs> Amen. Thanks for staying so long. I appreciate it so much.